Hey everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Richard Del Bono of Da Vinci Boas. Rich is a great breeder and a pioneer of the Central America Boa Morph game. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the Boa game and his plans for the upcoming season. We're also going to talk about his work with Central American Boas and how they have become the fastest growing sector of the Boa hobby. He's also going to give us some insight into his Platinum T-Positive gene. Finally, we're going to talk about the right way to grow your boas to breeding size. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morphs Unlimited, and with me is my co-host, Mike Roscoe of The Reptile Shop. Mike, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Yeah, man. Nice day today. A little bit, uh, a little bit more chill now uh, over here in uh, Arizona. Headed out herping yesterday with the, with the kiddos. Man, found some banded geckos, but unfortunately we didn't find any of these desert rosy bows we were looking for. But uh, hopefully this weekend we're going to be able to find some mountain kings, which that'll be awesome. Oh, I drove over the Ortega Highway today, and it was beautiful out there. It was hard for I was on a mission to go get some stuff done, but it was hard for me to stop and hit the hit the herbit on the side of the road today for sure. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I feel I feel the pain, man. So, right. obviously, our guest today is our boy Richard Dilbano. Um, Rich is based out of Florida, for those that don't know him, and he is really well well known for his outstanding work uh, with the Central American boa morphs. He's pioneered a lot of new morphs and has basically had the guts to go after a lot of combos that people maybe never even had thought about. So we're really excited to talk to him. Rich, welcome to the show, man. How you guys doing? Good, man. Just enjoying, good, good. Enjoying life, man. So, Rich, for those that haven't had a chance to actually get to know you, uh, give us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with reptiles and eventually how that love of reptiles eventually became love of boas. A lot of you guys are the same. Um, my mom, my parents never let me have them when I lived at home. And, um, you know, I had to sneak them into the house and lie about them and stuff like that. So when I got, <laughs> when I moved out, I got a pair of ball pythons. I know a lot of people aren't going to want to hear this, but that's how it all got started. And, uh, <laughs> the great boa man started with ball pythons. Oh, man. I didn't <laughs> but uh, I bought a pair of ball pythons from a pet store, a local pet store. Um, and um, a couple of months later, there was eggs in the, in the, you know, the cage. I freaked out and called the guy and he's like, oh, it's great. Well, I thought I bought two males. And um, next thing you know, he bought all the babies back for double what I paid for the the normals oh there you go so it kind of just a light bulb went off in my head and i was like if i could do it on accident i know i could do it on purpose you know what i mean yeah yeah so i became a sponge and this was man mid 90s late 90s uh started doing the shows you know uh started becoming a sponge i didn't do the shows i went to the shows started learning everything and um i realized that i really didn't like the ball pythons i was into the boas and at the time, they weren't as popular as ball pythons, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, um, was really attracted to the Central American boas. They were smaller, they were more aggressive, just my kind of thing. And um, through a lot of trials and tribulations and a lot of money and a lot of loss, uh, you know, I became what I've become today. And I do this full time, supporting my family and everything um, on my reputation and, and on my animals. Awesome, man. So let me ask you something, dude. Um, sure. What What are some things outside of reptiles that you're passionate about and things that, uh, you know, really uh, catch your interest and maybe take up some of your time? 
Oh, my kids. <laughs> yeah, right. I love my kids, man. Uh, that's the biggest hobby I, I can I tell you I have. Uh, my son's into uh, music. My daughter's into jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of my time up. Um, I used to ride bikes and, you know, do all the sports and stuff like that. But now that the kids are, you know, 11 and 14, it takes up everything I have outside of the reptiles. My son works for me. So we do it together. Yeah, no, that's awesome, dude. Um, uh, how long has uh, your uh, daughter been doing jiu-jitsu? Oh, she just started this year. Oh, um, awesome, she was man. playing softball for two years, and now she wants to, to get into grappling and doing the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So we, we went ahead and put her in that. Yeah, no, dude, that's awesome, actually. My uh, my daughter went down the same aisle, so she's uh, she's she she was a Division One softball player, but she was also, like, ever since she was little, she had been training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and eventually won a world title in it so yeah i saw that man that's awesome so she's she's crazy about that stuff man so dude um you mentioned that uh you are now doing this you know primarily for a living and i know kind of going from that uh you know recreational breeder to potentially small-time breeder to actually making this your profession has got to be a hell of a scary decision so what kind of brought you to make that decision um was there any sort of defining moment when that happened yeah, yeah. I was working for my dad uh, at his concrete plant, and um, you know he was paying me, you know, a little bit here and there, and I was doing all right. But the problem was, is I'd get a phone call in the middle of the day, and I'd sell a snake, and you know my dad would be like, "Hey, hey, hey, you know, get back to work." Well, I was making so much money on these phone calls, I, I got to a point where I couldn't work anymore, and. You know, I, I kind of I stepped away from the concrete business and I went full time in the reptiles. Um, it was it was nerve wracking. I'm gonna be honest with both of you guys, man. You want to talk about ooh nerve wracking? Married, you know, trying to tell your wife that you're leaving a job that is paying the bills and then going to do something you love. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel, I know, bro. <laughs> Roscoe, well, yeah, because because Roscoe and I talked before he made that leap, and I said, "Look, do it, right. man. You only the only way you're gonna know is if you jump off the cliff. You know what I'm saying? Right. And exactly. It was the best decision he ever made. For sure. So, no doubt. Um, once again, a lot of trials and tribulations, guys. I mean, I've met a lot of people that we become best friends in the world, and then I met a lot of people that want to cut my throat, and I don't understand why, but it is what it is. Yeah. Everybody has, you know, not everybody's gonna love you. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure, it's man. Part of business. But whether or not somebody loves you or whether or not they hate you, the fact that your name is in their mouth indicates that obviously you are doing something that's attracting a level of attention that is creating some sort of levels of jealousy in them. And I know other people want to put it in a nice you know, way. But, dude, the reality is that people really get upset when they see success in others and maybe they don't understand either where that success ends up coming from, right? Or they make assumptions of how that person arrived at that success, right? They don't know how to deal with it. Right. You know, yeah. they see it and they wonder and they ask questions. Well, how can he do that? How is he so successful? How does he produce litters every single year? I can't answer those questions, guys. This is what I do. I got lucky. I was blessed. I mean, I, I can I answer that know. question, bro. I can answer that question. It's a lot of hard work, dude. That's a lot of hard work it and dedication. It's a lot of hard work. <laughs> that's, 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 how you, that's how you do it, bro. <laughs> well, like as I mentioned People earlier. I just wake yeah. up, you know. Well, as I mentioned earlier, and, uh, there's also a giant level of. of you know balls that is required to 
jump head into and yeah. into a profession like this because if you don't if your animals don't breed they're 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 animals you know what i mean there's no guarantee that stuff is going to work out the way that you want it to work out essentially this is a, a, a different version of ranching right so you're mm-hmm. subject to the same trials and tribulations you know, Chris McQuaid, uh, Gulf Coast Reptiles back in the day, and, and I know you guys know him, and you, you got to be old-time, you know, herpers to know that cat. And he told, he gave me, uh, you know, some good advice way back in the day. I'm talking 20 years ago. He said, there's two rules in this business. Rule number one is live animals die. Yep. Rule number two is you can't change rule number one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So think, of, so think about that. You know, at the time I was like, "What?" Now you look at it. You know, everybody loses animals. Every, you know, there's there's life, there's death. It is what it is, and you just gotta you gotta pick up yourself and keep moving forward. You know, I hear these whining stories all the time. Oh, I lost five in the litter. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, this is what you want to do for a living. You need to you know pick your head up and move on. It's yeah, not no doubt. peaches and cream. Everybody knows this. It's it's a rough business to be in. Sometimes it's cookies and creams, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, those are looking good, man. Oh, man. How old are those did. right now? Huh? How old are the cookies and creams right now? Oh, he is. Well, I got or let's see they're 22 months old right now wow so but i got two other litters on the way i got one due may 5th and i got another one due in late july nice he did a video last Uh, week i don't know if you saw carlos but he uh in the video he showed a couple of uh hidden gems and he showed one of the razor upper cookies and creams in there and that thing is looking phenomenal yeah it It made me want to question uh a couple of my project decisions Yeah, for real well roscoe you know you know how this game works anything you want to get sent over to california so yeah you know i know i know we help each other out but man that's you really you really hit a big one on that project bro i really i really like that project i you had the vision i had a lot, that of, a lot of people didn't lack that it, you know, a lot of people didn't have that vision to make yeah. that happen and uh it was that's a that's a killer out knock it out the ballpark project for sure well you know touching on the whole you know uh pioneer thing i think i breed outside the box i don't do what people do i do what i want to do and sometimes i like you say i hit a home run and sometimes i don't tell you anything so (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah right yeah five years and it looks like a turd i'm (laughs) but the cookies and cream is probably my coolest project that I produced in the last 10 years outside the garnet. That's probably I was, the coolest I was, looking snake. I was just going to say, there's a couple other ones I could think of that are pretty comparable, bro. <laughs> yeah. 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 The black pearl stuff. Yeah. Oh, the black pearl. Wait till you see what I got coming this year, man. Holy monkeys. I'm excited. So, so yeah. Dude, so am I. I love it. So, Obviously, when you took that step into becoming kind of a, a professional breeder, um, you probably took inspiration from some of the old school guys. Uh, and obviously, oh, yeah. you, you definitely forged your own path along the way. But who are some of the people that kind of mentored you or the people that inspired you when you were kind of uh, getting started with all this? Bro, to be honest with you, it was one person, man. It's Tom Burke. Oh, yeah. Burke is the man. I mean, awesome. I really can't think of anybody else that grabbed my hand and said hey let me lead you here everybody was else was like figure it out kid you know or they gave you the wrong information and led you down the wrong path 
you know, Burke and I were doing business when he was selling normal HET T positives for 10 grand. Yeah. And that was what, 2000? 99, 2000, 2001? A long time ago. No, yeah, no, no. 99. No, no, no. That was 2005 because 2004 was when I think he produced his first litter or something. So I I think I did a trade with him back in the day. I did a coral sunglow for like three hets. Right. <laughs> nice. So, well, that's, that's, you got you on the ground for that Central Tea Project back then, man. Yeah, man, Burke and I, we talk quite a bit. Um, he'll call me and be like, hey, what do I have here? Or, you know, you're, you're the guy I need to talk to. Like when I produced those first, uh, uh, well, you've got, you know, you've got a couple of babies from that litter, the, uh, the Hypo IMG Doublehead VPI Bloods, the jungle. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what's, you know, sparked my interest into uh, moving forward on that project was that original yeah, litter. Yeah. And if, if you're not up you're, to, if, to to bring Carlos up to speed, I had a pretty cool hypo blood female. Him and Rich and I had pitched in on a project together, and uh, and I sent him the best female because he had a lot more arsenal to run to some blood stuff than I did at the time. So it was obviously in both of our better interests to send him the best female in the in the group, right? Right. So so we sent him this female, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna breed." Phoenix Blood Projects, but he didn't quite have the ingredients to, that we needed to make a Big Bang litter. And he and I and you know I had and I told him I said, bro, listen to me. I'm gonna be mad at you if you don't throw that VPI Sunglow <laughs> Jungle IMG that you have over there with that girl. And he's like, man, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not too fond of VPI. And I was like, bro, just fucking trust me, dude. <laughs> and 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 he yeah. did, and he threw it in and had a knockout litter. Luckily, I was able to get a few of the killer babies out of, you know, at some pick of the litters, I would say. And um, and we still work that project together today. And um, and it's it was a definitely a heavy-hitting litter. <laughs> Knocked it out the park with that yeah, one for I sure. Everybody knows I don't do VPI stuff. Uh, and the VPI stuff that I own is at Roscoe's. Um, I, I just don't. I don't do the project. I mean, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, why not? Well, I just don't like it. I'm a central guy. I love my platinum teas. I love my tea sunglows. I love all the central stuff. So Roscoe does all the VPI stuff, and look what he does with it. Why not? You know what I mean? And, Thank you. Uh, well, we, we, all, we all got our we all got our, our, our lane, bro. Like, everybody's got their yeah, direction yeah. And, their, and their path. And, and I, it would be dumb yeah. if two people that did so much work together did the exact same shitty anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> it would be retarded. I mean, I, exactly. I've had animals spread out all over, the, all over the country now. You know, between our boys over in Germany and, you know, Amsterdam. Now we've got snakes all over the world. And, no doubt. Um, which is great. It's great because not everything is in the same building. Which right. is safer for everybody. That's the way I look. Yeah, it. Diversify a little bit. Yep. Spread yeah. your, you know, spread yeah. the risk a little bit. Yeah. No doubt. So let me ask you something, Rich. Um, I know you're primarily a Central American boa guy, and you've probably done more with them than I would say almost anybody else when it comes to morphs uh, in the hobby right now. Sure. So um, yeah. What what's your current pro- what's your current focus, and maybe talk a little bit about what drew you to Central American boas. Okay, yeah, I got a couple that uh, that just ovulated and they're in their POSs right now, which are big projects. I'll let you in on it. Um, we bred, and actually, the, the, the female came through Roscoe. We we worked the deal out. It's a T positive fire CA, uh, and I bred her to the original Garnet. So it's a T positive Sunglow Platinum IMG. He's the world's first. He's the first one born. He's twenty three months old, and. Um, 
he bred her she ovulated everything's looking great so that's going to be a groundbreaking project to see what the fire is going to do to the img when it comes to the ca project um i think that's going to be epic i think because the central the sun glow you know like the platinum sun glow img stuff is on the darker side i think the fire is going to add some yeah. contrast and lighten it up and give you even more ability for contrast and to see some of the color and stuff coming through that's what i hope i think it's going to be purple i think it's going to be a light purple snake like a lavender um we'll see i mean my color spectrum is, is different than everybody else's but i'm hoping for a purple snake and um some other ca stuff that i have obviously you know the the, the half hog with the uh the cookies and cream I, br I bred that into an annery motley so i should have some cookies and cream motleys um you know that's kind of a gateway project is the motley you want to get it into everything and see what it does um what else did i do i did some raptor stuff this year a, a gang of img stuff i did um oh my da vinci project i've had that i mean was it 2011 i've had that project she's finally i'm hoping she's gravid um i still have to ultrasound her but that's a new line t we bred it into the burks shoof, five or six years ago and we got no burks really so all the babies are 100 percent het burke 50 percent het da vinci and i bred one of those male hypos back to the mom so we're hoping and praying that it's a brand new line of tea uh, you know, I have so many lines of T-positives between the T-positive Hondurans from Germany, uh, Platinums, Burks, uh, I mean, everything, all the CA lines I have. Um, and even a couple new ones. You saw the Karma line. Roscoe's seen that one. Yeah, um, yeah. We're still trying to figure that out. It looks like a VPI, Sunglow, some kind of combination, but it's not. It's a CA line. And I have two adult males that we're going to be playing with this year to, to kind of figure out where that project's going. And if I can reproduce those, those are going to take the place of the VPIs, in my opinion. Right. Because yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty epic. They're pretty epic, yeah. and they and are the main quite a bit smaller. A lot of people do the CAs is because of convenience. A lot right. of people live in apartments. They live in small places. They can't have these big four or five-foot racks. So you can breed a, a CA in a V70 right and totally you know it's just convenience and they eat small rats they have smaller litters it's it's all about convenience right i i mean one of the ways that i presented that to a lot of friends that were interested in getting into boas but maybe were intimidated by either the size or the space or the feeding requirements is that if they get into CAs, it's a great transition for people coming over from the ball python industry right because there's a lot it of is. genes that are that are now open to be played with that still are not fully developed they haven't obviously hit all the combos that there potentially is right but also they can oh, yeah, 100 they can convert their you know their rack system for example that they've been utilizing for their ball pythons into a boa system and still be rel relatively effective it's almost a it's almost a yeah, legitimate switch over yeah you don't almost don't have to switch anything they might yeah. be you might be able to keep the centrals a little bit drier than a ball python but that's right. about it <laughs> yep Yep. It's really neat, man. I mean, you guys have seen my setup. It's very simple. I don't have a massive, uh, you know, facility. I have two buildings, one for my babies, one for my adults. I don't keep them together. Yeah. Um, and, and I have really good luck. I mean, my production, I couldn't give you a percentage, but I'm pretty high up there when it comes to producing every single year. Um, and it's just, I found, how to, I found out how to do it, you know, and I can tell you how to do it, but if you live in a different state, 
your ambience are different, your weather's right. different. Everything changes when you're dealing with that. Um, and you know, being in Florida, Central Florida, I, it's it's the best place to be because temperatures don't get too cold and they don't get too hot. So I think I'm subtropical for these animals where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, man. So let me ask you, do yeah. you think with uh, with the fact that obviously Central American boas have a lot of potentials with new morphs and new outcrossings, that they are also mm-hmm. a little bit smaller, they're easier to keep, do you think that they're basically at a point where they, the uh, traction that they've been gaining in popularity is going to just simply keep going? Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I, I have had more people... Uh, you know, longtime customers that have been BCI customers get into me. Hey, Rich, you know, really like these centrals. I want to get them red like you have them. Okay, well, you pay for that. You know what I'm saying? I'm, as Roscoe and yourself know that you're going to pay for quality. Amen. Uh, if you want a cheap snake, go get a cheap snake. If you want a snake that I guarantee is going to be blood red without the blood in it or black, you're going to pay for those those animals. Um, so I think what it is is the attraction I'm able to produce these animals and show people as adults what they look like. So they're okay spending that kind of money now. Yeah. Like the black. Bird, For sure. You know, I mean, for sure. There's, there's some killer projects. He's legit. The blackest IMG I've ever seen. I ever, I've ever produced that. I've been producing IMG since 2010. So and I'll second that he's the blackest IMG I've ever seen in person as well. And you know what? You <laughs> I've seen a lot of IMGs too. And Roscoe, you're actually the second person to tell me that. Um, so one of the things that you know people who haven't had a chance to know Rich don't know is that the dude, just like you, man, is essentially one of the, the nicest guys in the hobby, right? And I know when my no, buddy no. Dave Schmidt, who is uh, who served in the same special operations community that I did, uh, when he ran into some issues, um, Rich was one of the first guys to reach out and, and help him out. And uh, you know, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Rich was cool enough to kind of show him the facility and show him some animals. And he ended up saying the same thing, man. He's saying well, he saw that animal it was about the darkest thing he'd ever seen. Oh, it's 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 black. Like so, I went over to Rich's. I was out in Florida doing some business, and uh, I made a trip over to Rich's place. As I had to, you know what I mean. I was in Florida. I need to go over and see Rich, so I drove out there. And one of the first things he see, he just pulls open the tub and doesn't say anything. And I was like, bruh. <laughs> I was like, dude, that thing is black, dude. Like it's it's like yeah. indigo black. Yeah. I mean, it's actually. Yeah. It's actually probably got more dark black pigment than an indigo does. Indigos have a lot of iridescence, yeah. and this thing's just black. And I it's mean, like it, was, that, it was incredible. Uh, like that black that they put on stealth fighters, right? Where it like absorbs light and it's just so black. Oh, yeah. That it it's, of, it's almost so black. You don't. Yeah. It, it, for real, for real. And it was kind of dark in the room when we first went in there. Like the lights were still warming up, and he pulls open this tub, and at first you don't even like. Is that a shadow? Like, like whoa, dude, that that thing is dark and i have some cool imgs and uh it's really dark yeah i don't know what's going on hold on oh no worries so um as uh as rich kind of gets squared away over there man one of the other things that i wanted to bring up and uh maybe you can kind of give me your opinion on this uh roscoe and it's basically talking about really um the importance of branding and kind of identifying the lane to focus on so obviously right. we're just focused on the Central American stuff. So how do you go about really identifying your lane and, and sticking to it? Well, I, I always like I like we were saying when we were talking in my podcast was I always say, man, just 
first start off with whatever you're passionate about, whatever, whatever your passion, whatever you're feeling, whatever you, uh, whatever you're the most excited about, whatever excites you the most, start there and then build on that and find a lane, find a, find a direction that you want to take that works for you. And then, you know, if there's other projects or you have other influences, let them give you some opinions and some ideas on how you might be able to facilitate business and, and figuring out your identity and figuring out what projects you want to focus on. But I always say, start off with what draws you in because it, with anything, if you're not, if you're not into it, you're not, you know, you're not digging it. You're not going to be behind it as much as you would be if you were really feeling it. You're going to put a lot more effort. You're going to put a lot more energy, a lot more positive energy into it. So when I was getting into it, I, you know, I started off doing some call stuff. I still do some call stuff. Right. I've always liked it. People, you know, oh, call is, you know, the old thing. But I still really enjoy some of my good quality call animals, man. Well, the thing um, calls when they're when they're good quality, man, they're mind blowing. That's the thing. Oh, they're they're is. phenomenal. And 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 so like at a show, most of the like the newer customers I'm bringing, like, so let's say I go to a show and I've got. You know, VPIs and VPI snows and, you know, sharp sunglow jungle mollies on the table. And then I've just got a good call albino. Um, the price point and, 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 the, and how pretty it is, you know, that's going to bring a lot of new customers into the game. So I don't eliminate those from my projects. Those are how I get a lot of, you know, new people that might not be able to, you know, might not want to put up a thousand dollars for an animal they can afford something that's pretty reasonably priced and usually that gets the hooks in usually after that you know once you buy one it's hard to not buy more it's hard to not continue on but you, know, you also have to have that entry level for everybody else too so and sometimes it's tough yeah yeah now rich uh what's like got? popping a bag yeah. of potato chips is what it is that's what i tell yeah, you oh for real it is man um so, Rich, one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about with you is the importance of branding. Um, I know, for example, yeah. like you have probably the coolest logo in all of Boas, in my opinion, right? For DaVinci Boas, right? I appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, right? I mean, like, I mean, like your logo is cool enough that people who know absolutely nothing about Boas would rock that T-shirt, dude. You know what I mean? Like, it's That's why it's, I did it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so number one, uh, what are some tips that you would give people out there to really try to hone in their branding? All right, so I went through so many logos in the past 20 years. I mean, some were really goofy and some were pretty cool. Uh, but sex sells. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> tattoos, pretty girls, redheads. My wife's a redhead. Um, and I just attached myself to that. And me and my buddy came up with a logo, and it is the we, – we can't keep the T-shirts on the, uh, the shelf. And, you know, we do uh, – you know tumblers now and stuff like that we we do all that custom stuff but i would say find something cool that you know is around your business is around something you really like and, and that you're passionate about and move with it i i don't copy something make something custom do it yourself and and you know ask a few people about it call your buddies and say hey what do you think about this be honest with me you know i did it i did it with my family and they were like uh eh. You know, and then when I hit the redhead, they were like, whoa. And that's when you know. Yeah, that, that, that so, little bit of color on that black and white, that's some awesome-ass contrast, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. My, mine was just my one of, the, one of my first boas that I was ever really passionate about. That I, like One of the ones that made me fall in love with boas. Um, I had a really killer picture of it, and I ran with that. 
it just it was kind of part of my identity now you know what i mean yeah. and i you know yeah. i probably i probably thought about you know not probably i've thought about updating it but you know i always go back to like hey that's that's me. That's my roots. That's kind of where I started. I, I, I I'm cool with it. I like it. <laughs> and that's people eventually know you for that. Right, right. It's recognizable, yeah. and and then it becomes hard to change once you become recognizable with your logo. People are like, "Where's that big yellow snake in the show?" At? you know. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's if it's, it's broke, don't fix it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now another area that I know, like uh, some of the old school guys, maybe gave you a little bit of flack about, and that's how uh, marketing and naming some of the combinations that you ended up producing. Oh man. So let's get into that a little <laughs> bit. Uh, let's talk about. All uh, right. So. Yeah, go for it. It wasn't the old school guys that were blasting me. It was the younger guys. Really? The guys I was that, always under the impression that some of the old school guys were the ones that were getting annoyed. Like the old school locality purist. Dude, Vin Russo loves what I do, man. Okay, so we were at Daytona, right? And, you know, Vin and I, we've known each other for a long time. And he stops me. He goes, hey, Rich. I said, what? He goes, how come you've never bought a snake for me? I look at him, I go, hey, Vin, how come you never bought a snake for me? He goes, touche. <laughs> so just because you're a low-cow guy doesn't mean we can't be friends. Right. Uh, now, back in the day, what was that, 2013, I did the uh, Samantine Motley's. Right. Uh, what's that, 12 or 13, Roscoe? Was that 12? I want to say it's twelve because um, you had the first. You had a litter. You had a litter after that where you made Darth Vader, which was that was in thirteen. Yep, you're right. I still have Darth too. So yeah, uh, a couple of the guys. Yeah, you're right, Carlos. The purist hit me, and they were like, "You're gonna be banished from the industry. You did an uh, appendix one to this." And I'm like, "And this is my debate. This was my comeback." I said, "Guys, do you think?" They have lines in between Costa Rica and Panama. Damn right, dude. Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Thank you. I said, do you think boas are racist? Do you think boas are... I I said... (laughs) Sorry, I only date Nicaraguans. Right, right. And there was a couple guys... I think unless it's an an island boa. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like... Yeah, I think it's... I just kind of was... I was set back. You know, why would you? Yeah, a lot of the pure, a lot of the purest guys. Bred two boas together. Yeah, and a lot of the purest guys. That's because, you know, maybe their their goal is to have you know pure locality lineage animals, and that's their direction. But why knock on somebody for doing something they enjoy? Like if that's not your cup of tea, then don't do it. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And that's my opinion on it. Like if you know, there's there's projects that I'm not a, that I'm not fond of, but that I don't I don't I'm not going to go knock people because they have a different taste than I do. So I think that's just I have, people I should have, have respect. Once, yeah, I have never once downed anybody for them project for anything they're doing. You know, I don't hate. I congratulate no matter who you are and what you've done. And for sure, when people come at me with all these negative and negativity, I'm like, why? What? I don't understand it. You get mad because I named something a garnet. You know? Yeah. Right. I don't understand it. I did it first. What does it matter? You know, and at the end of the day, producing, I never understood that. Yeah, dude. And at the end of the day, you're producing boas for yourself, not for them. You know what I mean? So correct. Um, yeah. And and the other thing, let's let's call a spade a spade, boys. There's a lot yeah. of locality guys that are diehard about their localities, but I guarantee you, there is no way they can fully guarantee 
that that snake comes from that specific locality unless they collected the damn oh, no. themselves. Especially yeah, and there's <laughs> right exactly. Unless so you got counting like counting scales or freaking you know you were the one that even on even on scale counts yeah, even on scale counts there's there's and there's natural integrates but I think the only people that could even say anything about anybody's locale stuff these days would probably be Vin and Gus. Anybody else can just you know there's you're like whatever bro <laughs> maybe Michael Beach I know he's got a lot of old lineage stuff that's from Vin or Gus Renfro so but, I mean really there's not. The, the, the lines of demarcation between the localities have been blurred for a long time. And a lot of these people that are like, well, you're crossing your centrals with with Colombians. It's like, oh, yeah, where'd you get that Aztec at, bro? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, is that a Colombian, is that a Colombian Aztec that you have there? Is there something that I don't know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, come on, guys. Well, it's, uh, and, and, you know, yeah. it's education. I mean you got to just talk to the right people. And, and like I said, we've been around this game for a long time, not as long as Crutchfield or Love or, you know, Vin or anybody like that, but we've got a different era we're working on. You know, I'm, right. I'm bringing in the more combos. You know, I cross a lot of stuff. I create these crazy combos and these crazy animals. Like I said, some are good and some are bad, but I keep my projects moving with the stuff that I like. And it perks a lot of people's interest. I've had many locale guys call me and be like, hey, on a down low, how much would an IMG breed for a Suriname? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you can buy the IMG and do it, but I'm not doing a breed loan with you because I'm not getting a fly. Right. You know what I mean? Right. right. So, yeah, it is. That's weird. funny. Yeah, no, I, I bet. I'm, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. There's a lot of locale dudes. Like, I do some locale stuff. But I don't knock people yeah. to do other crosses. Like, if you know, if you've got a blood or an Aztec in your collection, and you're breeding into anything that's call or sharp or VPI, you're already crossing central with, with, uh, with Colombian stuff anyway. So why does it matter? Well, yeah. I can, I it can tell you personally, it stronger, for, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It does. It does. And then one of the things that I can, you know, attest to is, so I grew up down in Ecuador, right? And there's a Which lot awesome. of, and there's a lot of guys down there that would collect in areas that were well outside of Ecuador. But they would then take those same snakes out to Colombian boa farms for export, and those those things would be exported as you know, <laughs> Colombian boas were really they were getting Colombians. collected everywhere from Brazil to uh, you know North Peru and Ecuador. Right? They've been doing that right. for years, man. Yeah, yeah. and like, that's that's exactly like the one we uh, the year that Mike Neely and I both got the two imports and the same import. One of them was super dark and one of them was super light. They, they looked nothing alike. And, and yeah. you know, they were in the same Colombian import. And you, you know damn well that one of those is from pretty far south and one of those is from pretty far north. <laughs> yep. So it's and it's not hard to see. And it just, you know, since the inception, there's no way to, you know, tell you, yeah, that's a pure Colombian. It's, it, it is what it is. And I think, I think the people are a little bit too scrutinizing about it, but... You know, and I prefer a little bit heavier body boas myself, and Rich prefers a little bit smaller animals himself. And there's people that are going to be in the middle, and I, I don't think I think That's that kind of like where I'm I, sitting. Yeah. right, and I and I've preached since day one. Just go with what you like. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. If you enjoy it, that's really what really counts at the end of the day. So, yeah, no, and I'm with you. It's so, like simple. for example, do, like you said, do what you like. Yeah. So, for example, like right. literally while we're sitting here talking, I'm watching a uh, VPI. Uh, uh, Sunglow Jungle Het Snow uh, breed a uh, fairly small leopard boa. You know what I mean? 
So <laughs> there it is. There it's it is. It's probably, they're probably the same size. Yeah. <laughs> or male's bigger. Oh, the male's bigger, dude. And he's only like a three-year-old. You know what I mean? And the funny, right. thing, the funny thing, dude, is like, you know, people would give me hate for that, but I personally don't give a shit because I'm making something that I want for me. No, and then you probably also saw. Good. I got the Go black pearl in with a T positive Inca Ooh. right now. So, Ooh, oh yeah, it's gonna be it's it, it's gonna be dope. But the black pearls twice the size of the Inca because the Incas are super small. I don't know if you guys work with them, but they are very small as adults. And um, yeah, they're the small. black pearls Central American as well. But still, even though he's only four and a half feet, she's only about four feet, but she's twice as old as him. So it's all age with me, man. And yeah. you know, I like the age on the animals. I get better luck with age. Yeah, and then yeah, we'll talk, no we'll, doubt. We'll talk a little bit more in depth in that in the in our second segment. Sure. sure. But um, I wanna I wanna cover real quick uh, maybe some of the lessons that you learned when you started uh, setting up your your reptile business and things that you know have sure. worked for you that maybe you could pass on to the listeners as far as tips. Sure, sure. Be careful who you trust. <laughs> that's a good one um, <laughs> yeah I, amen i mean bro i can't tell you how many times i've been screwed in this industry just for putting my hand out and saying hey i'll help you out and them turn around and turn it back on me i mean you know i can bring up a, a sore subject the desert project and um i i just tried to help the guy out bro i literally he called me and said hey man i need help i can't sell these my name is nothing you're the guy I said, all right, cool, I'll help you out. And the next thing you know, he's suing me for $30,000 because he said I stole the animals. I'm like, look. I, and that's when I wanted to get out of the business because I knew there was a bunch of other guys out there like that. And, yeah. Oh, and, you know, I, and, I, and I've, I've met the guy on. in person. He's a scumbag, as, as scumbag as he can. Yeah. Well, so. And, you know. Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, and then to, to embellish on that a little bit, Carlos, I'll give you a little bit of back history. The way that me and Rich connected and became good friends is, uh, is I had heard that he was buying this Desert Tea Positive project from, you know, from the dude, right? I'm not going to throw any names out there, but from the dude. And, uh, and then I had found that the dude had been doing breeder loans with local breeders in Arizona, right. produced animals, and was backdooring Rich. And, and it was, and, and then I, you know, I see Rich posting this, you know, all these stuff about, Hey, you know, look at, look at the project that I'm working on. You know, I'm really trying to get behind this, you know, I'm yeah. we're working on this project with so-and-so and I reached out to him and said, Hey, listen, dude, uh, I'm going to give you a heads up. I picked up a hypo hundred percent head desert teeth. And he was like, bullshit, Mike, because they haven't been made yet. And I go, bullshit, they haven't. And so you know, and I ended up, I ended up sending it to him. I said, here, dude, take it. You know, I, I think that this is better off in your hands anyway. You are buying the project. You should have this. Yeah, and I sure sent I it to him. babies too at my house. <laughs> probably. Probably. So I sent it to him. And uh, and then he ended up confronting the guy with the info that, you know, I was like, I, I came across this info on accident. Like, you know, just being in the game and being from the West Coast, I was doing a couple of deals and ended up with a, with a, Hypo had desert tea, which had not been supposedly made yet. Is Rich is buying all the animals, and so when we when Rich uncovered that that was the truth and that he had been backdoored, that's when shit hit the fan. And that's actually how me and Rich connected because I I felt bad for this dude. And I was like, I should call this guy and let him know that he's being duped. And it wasn't you know I didn't know the dude that was duping him, and I didn't know Rich that well. 
I just knew that, you know, he was getting behind this new project and, and, and I, and I was like, and if I, if, if I have this, that means there's a whole litter of these that he doesn't even know about. And he's yep. putting his, you know, his life's hard work, time and energy into buying a project that somebody's going to backdoor him on. I said, that's bullshit. Whoever, whoever it is, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just, I'm going to send him this animal on, on, you know, I, I paid, I had $2,500 in a trade into it. And I said, Rich, I think you should have this. And I just sent it to him. And from then on out, me and Rich have been tight and it kind of brought to light that he was getting ripped off and helped save him, hopefully, a lot of money and flock later on. <laughs> well, here's the insane thing. Yeah. You know what that guy was actually doing with those uh, with those bullets? When, he could, when eventually his name got so tarnished in the industry, okay, uh, that yeah. he couldn't sell to anybody in the industry. He was just blowing them out on Craigslist out here in Arizona. <sighs> and that's when I ended up seeing. I picked up... I ended up buying the guy's collection. I physically went to his house and bought him out, right? And uh, when I did, dude, right. you don't even want to know what I paid for him, dude, because the guy was like basically oh, I nobody else would buy would buy anything yeah. from the guy. And mind you, you know, in full discretion or in full disclosure to uh, all all the listeners, I have a lot of Desert Tea stuff. I like them. I think they're they're cool looking, right? Yeah, I think they're awesome too. And I'm gonna keep working that project because I enjoy it. But the guy that originated, he's as sketchy as they come, dude. So. <laughs> oh, bad, 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 bad. Yeah, yeah, it's like you I know, said, it's funny. It all started with me helping him. You know, he just wanted to. He wanted somebody to help him make his name bigger, and I was that guy, and he screwed me. Yep. And that's why I'm. That's why I say the first and foremost is don't trust anybody. Be careful who you work with and who you trust. Um. You know, because somebody's always out there trying to be bigger than you are, even though they say they're not. It's hard riding somebody's coattail, bro. I'm telling you. Yeah. No. Amen to that. Yep. So um, let's talk a little bit about the future of the hobby. What do you see are going to be some of the uh, some of the things that are really going to push the hobby forward? Obviously, Central Americans is one of those things that we've talked about on this podcast because of their size and their requirements that we believe is really going to move forward, especially if we ever get to the point where any sort of legislation starts getting passed again, right? Um, yeah. But what are, what are some of the th- some, some of the projects that you look forward to doing or you look forward to seeing uh, coming up? Uh, like Roscoe said earlier, touching on the CAs, uh, putting uh, Colombian combos into them, RLTs, Raptors, uh, you know, a lot of your codoms, you want to see what they're going to look like when you darken these animals up and you shrink them down. And I think we just scratched the surface on stuff that we could be doing with this stuff. I mean, I've got all those in the works, obviously, but um, I, I just I want to see these come to a head and I want to see what other people think, you know. They're so stuck on this Colombian Colombian thing. I want to bring the Colombian into the centrals and make them more obtainable when it comes to price and size. Right. And I think you're bringing probably one other thing up with that, and that's the fact that a lot of times the Colombians, one of the things that end up happening is a lot of times the Colombians, as they age, their colors fade, and it seems like centrals tend to retain color way better. Because they're darker. Anything that's lighter is going to fade. Anything that's darker is going to be more bold and contrasty. That's why I put the teapot. That's why I put the IMGs into the centrals because they're right. already dark. So you want to make a darker snake darker. So the albino form of the IMG, in my opinion, I still think the VPI looks kind of dope. But if you see an adult garnet, there's nothing that can. There's no it. comparison. I, I mean, no, there's really not. And they're small. You know what I mean? They're smaller. 
They're more, they're, they're easier to maintain, to feed. Their litters are smaller. And now you're going to start putting them into all these other combos, the anneries and the type twos and the black eyes. And, you know, it, I've, I've just got so many projects that I'm working on. Well, not so many, let me rephrase that. I've got certain projects I'm working on that I really want to see come to a head. And, uh, you know, with the Incas and the yeah. Raptors and the Krakens, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are, they're not on the Kraken train yet, which is cool. I'm fine with that because that leaves more for me. Uh, yeah. But we, we still have to unlock that because it hasn't been, enough of them have not been produced yet to, to say these are Krakens or these are Kraken combos. You know, everybody wants to sell them as Krakens because the name is cool and, and they're riding that tail. But it, it we haven't produced enough of them to prove it yet, you know? Right. No, I'm with you, man. So, Rich, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some tips sure. about like successfully growing your boas and uh, getting them to breed in a more uh, effective manner. All right, guys, now we're back. So one of the biggest mistakes we see in the boa industry is people like power feeding their snakes to get them up to breeding size prematurely, right? And obviously this can have like some major consequences on not only the health of the snake, but also on its reproductive success. And a lot of times it, it even leads to premature death. Um, so boys, why don't you guys tell us the importance of, you know, how to grow your boa slowly? So I'd start off by saying, I think uh, a consistent regimen, people, there's some people that maybe underfeed, some people that overfeed. I think, um, I think they grow nice and slow. So me personally, I would breed my males until they're about two and a half, two to two and a half, but I shoot for two and a half. And then, uh, and then my females, I don't breed until we're coming into our fourth season, which would be at three and a half to four years old depending on what time they're born. Um, I'm, I think Rich is right around the same lines. And a lot of times it ends up going to four, you know, four or five years old, depending on the female. But um, it is, uh, would I say that that's, do you concur with that, Rich? Are you, are you on the same track? With, with the females, 100%. With the male centrals, they can breed a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, that's, that's a good point. That's so definitely a good point. I would say around two years, 18 months to two years old, I can get successful breeders out of males. And I'm talking good solid breedings good solid litters um you know and they don't need as much time off as a as a regular columbia male does they're 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 rock stars man and they breed really small too um yeah that's that's actually very true yeah yeah, that's very true and 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 with the females you're still on fourth year four years old right exactly so so when so when you feed your females and you're getting them up to size and you, you decide you're going to have a hold back, what kind of feeding, feeding regimen do you put them on to get them up to the proper size by the time they're old enough to successfully produce? And when, when, when you think it's safe for them for a good, healthy litter? Okay. So when they're born, uh, you know, from birth to, I say about a year, uh, is about seven to 10 days we feed them. And, you know, we start everything on mice. Um, I don't like feeding any babies uh, rat pups till about three to four months old. Why is That's that? That's just me. Every, um, I don't like the way the milk uh, affects the uh, the poop. It just makes it watery. And and, and um, so and for and for like me, the, from my perspective, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. 
I was saying, from my perspective, I think the hardened calcium in the bones of the of hopper and small mice might tend to give the ba- give the baby boas a little more calcium, a little more structure, and um, and and I think that my boas grow better when I feed the baby's mice as well. I do the same thing. So yep. go ahead, sorry, continue on. Yeah, so I like the mice, you know, for the first few months, and then after that we offer them uh, rat pinks, and then we start them off there. But we go with the baby seven to ten days. And then from your juveniles to your yearlings, we go every 14, you know, to 21 days. Um, okay. The bigger the animal gets, the older the animal gets, we feed less. Um, it just seems to work much better that way. And then all of our adults, they get fed every four to seven weeks, depending on the size of the animal. And also probably depending on the time of year a little bit. So, for instance, if you have a female oh, yeah, that drops time. a litter... When you're getting her back up to breeder weight, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hit her probably every two weeks, maybe every even every yes. week and a half after they drop, right? And then as they get a little older, yes. you know, not older, but as they get back at the size and get their get their uh, their a game weight back on par, do you do you track that back back down to three weeks, or do they usually stay on more of a two week cycle after you have the females in a in a breeding rotation? Once we get them back to uh, you know, that, that even level, we start every three to four weeks on the smaller females, the big females, you know, anything over six feet, we feed six to seven weeks and we have really good success with that. And that's awesome. Uh, another thing that's been helping me out for the last few years. And I've told you about this, I got to get you some of it is that supplement we've come up with and um, right. it's the amino acids and the calcium globinate. And what that does is that replaces all the calcium that the mother loses when she gives birth and it bounces her back really quick and we give her four different you know doses of it while she's gravid each month and our right. lungs are healthier our females are healthier they don't look like flat tires when they have babies um, nice and, and once again it's just something i've come up with that i've been doing this so long i've come up with things that work for me so and, and so that, that supplement real quick uh, how, how do you administer it do you like gut load the rodents do you uh yeah. Give it to the morally like yeah it talk, could be about yeah there's multiple ways we could do it um we're actually working on uh thinning it out to where we can actually use it as a subdermal not with the snake but with the rat um you just put it into the rat and you feed the animal the meal and what it does is it just it's full of calcium globinate and it's full of amino acids which is great for these animals you can't overdose them it's not a medicine it's just a supplement so and we used it. We started using it because our males were really depleted after breeding season. Right. And my buddy down in Miami breeds dogs, and he's like, "Man, we give our females uh, calcium globinate, you know, when they're gravid, and it just it perks them back up. It helps the babies. Blah 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 blah." Long story short, we started giving it to our males, and it unbelievable what it does to the males. You know, it gives them a new life. And then I started giving it to the females because they lose a lot of calcium while they're gravid. They give it all to the babies. So we're just replacing the calcium they're losing. So when they give birth, they're not depleted. They actually have it. That's, that's, that sounds like something that people do as well. People take the calcium supplements for all types of reasons. And it's, it makes sense that why wouldn't you try to like do that for your snakes GNC. as well? Right. Yeah, it's like going to GNC and buying your supplements. I actually have to get you some because you have that pet store now. I need to get yeah, you some no, that on your shelves because this – and it works – it works for uh, metabolic bone disease too. I've I've got testimonials on my business page that are a mile long with people using it and saying it saved their life and their animals back. Uh, what's his name? John Adragna. You know, uh, Sim Containers. He used it on a couple of his uh, really high end uh, water monitors and it saved their life. 
So that's awesome. It's it's really good stuff, man. It's really good stuff. So let me ask you: uh, Have you tried utilizing that supplement at all on animals that, for example, are spotty feeders? And if so, did that improve their feeding? Uh, their desire. To it's feed funny after? you ask me that. And yes, I have. Um, it works really well. We have no. Uh, we have no. Um, supplement in there for feeding like uh metronidazole or, any, or anything like that but i think with the amino acids and the calcium that combine the way it does it does spark their feeding response um and we have had animals that haven't eaten and you, you know how males work sometimes they'll go off feed for two or three months and you're just like what's going on give them some of this stuff and believe it or not it does bring them back to to that even level that's awesome that's awesome so yeah it definitely helps well, dude, what you're talking about could potentially be a game changer outside of the boa community when we're talking about, like, for example, guys that constantly struggle with ball pythons hitting the thousand, uh, you know, the thousand gram. <laughs> wall. They call it the wall. <laughs> Bro, yeah, I no sold doubt. this stuff to um, uh, Breeders Ricardo. Yeah. Um, he loves it. I get, I, uh, our boy over in um, Woboas. Yeah. Oh, well, Bones. Who about Derek? Coleman. I sent him a few bottles <laughs> of it, and he swears by it. He's actually been um, helping me out trying to get the dosages bigger. Like, instead of a little, you know, 100 mil bottle, he wants like a, a pint of it. Because if you have a big collection, you're going to go to that little 100 mil bottle in the first feeding. You know what I'm saying? So we're working on some bigger bottles, right. pints, and possibly gallons, but it's it's not super cheap. I mean, you know this. It's not super cheap, but it's not super expensive. So it's going to be affordable to the public, and hopefully, it'll be able to take the, you know, take the place of the Zoomed powder stuff. That stuff just falls off. Right. You know, this stuff is is administered directly into the prey, and it goes right into that animal. So, and it's a liquid. Right. So, yeah, I've heard of a lot of guys from back in the day. They used to dose their animals with B12 during during the end of the female's gravid cycle, and to try to you know give them a little energy yeah. and whatnot. I've heard a lot of people try a lot of different things, well, and I, I think this is probably people, you know. I even heard about people like gut loading Chobani yogurt into dead rodents. You know what I mean? Yeah. To try to get them. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, and what back. that does is that helps with the the bacteria. Yeah, that helps with the good bacteria. Good probiotics in there. So, uh, yep. since you guys have experiences breeding both uh, Centrals and Colombians, what are some of the differences between the two when it comes to breeding? Uh, size, for one, obviously, is, is right. your main difference. Um, I think Central American males are more prolific when it comes to breeding. Um they don't let up. I would have to agree. Animals. They're very prolific, and they seem to breed a lot faster. They're more efficient. They're not lazy. Um, and, and yeah, I'd, a, I'd have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I call them dry litters, is where there's not a lot of slugs and not a lot of uh, you know stillborns. With right. my centrals, whereas the Colombians, you have a lot of wet litters. You have a lot of slugs, a lot of uh, ambionic fluids, where your centrals are very dry. And I think that has a lot to do with maybe their size. I don't know. I just I, I, I just really like them better because of the prolific part of the breeding. Right, right. 
Um, do- yeah, I, I would say I would say definitely he's on the right track for sure on those. I've noticed that <clears throat> when I'm breeding, like when I start pairing, and I do because I have a, a handful of central animals, and they get right to it. I mean, the, you know, the males get the females done quick. The females go through their whole ovulation cycle a lot faster, and the Colombians tend to really like. I've had some that. You pair them in December, and I'm not getting ovulations until February or March. And with essentials, that you just don't see that. You're usually getting an ovulation from a female from essential pairing within, I, I'd say, usually within two to six weeks at the at the max. And usually, yeah, usually, right. like from the time you pair them, you're getting an ovulation around 30 to 40 days is usually the average from centrals. And my average for Colombians is about two months. So that's the biggest difference yep. that I've seen in them. And then centrals seem to do a little bit better. They tolerate uh, drier, drier environments. When your humidifier runs dry and you notice the rooms are looking a little dry, you come in or your, you know, your humidifier has got a lot of uh, like, you know, hard water buildup on it or whatever the case is. And you come in, the centrals are going to town. They don't care. And all the Colombians are all dried up, hidden in the corner like, oh, man, it's too dry in here. <laughs> Trying to get in the water bowl, you know, like what's going on? And, um, and I've noticed that they're a lot more tolerant to keeper air is what I would say. And, and keeper air would be, you know, humidifiers running dry, your, you know, your cycles being a little off or something. Colombians will just, they're like, oh, sorry, you ain't going to breed now. And the centrals, they still, they plow right through it. They, they seem to be a lot more, um, a lot more forgiving, I'd say. Yeah. Nice, man. Um, do you guys have any other breeding tips that maybe you guys want to send out there for people who are looking to, to uh, potentially breed their first group of centrals? Um, Go ahead, Rich. Yeah, I, I would say, okay, so the key to breeding, in my opinion, and this is what works for me, is just leave them alone. Uh, put them together when they're sexually mature. Uh, you know, watch your date. And remember, where you're at is, is different from where I'm at. I can breed year-round over here just because of the temperatures. Whereas if you're up north or over in the, you know, in the, you know Arizona or something like that, you can't breed year-round. Um, right. In my opinion, you might be able to, might be able to, to trick them, but I just have really good luck breeding year-round. Just leave, let them go. Leave them alone. And they will do their job. Everybody wants to get in there and use flashlights and take pictures and, you know, bug them, bug them, bug them. And then they call me and be like, oh, my snakes aren't breeding because you won't leave them alone. Leave them alone. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great tip, man. <laughs> that's a great tip. I'd say I'd say also um, consistency for cleaning and feeding and schedules. I've seen I've, I've seen to find that the more consistent I am with, you know, if I clean every Monday, if I feed every Friday, if I, you know, you know, do spot cleaning once a week and try to stay, like, like he said, stay out of their way, let them do their thing, not always have my hands in the cage. If I can come up with a good, consistent, structured schedule that keeps my hands out of the cage and keeps me, you know, out of there all the time. And because you got to clean still, but sometimes when you see them getting their thing going, just leave them alone, turn off the lights and walk away and just forget about it. Because the people get stoked and they get excited. They want to go in there, like he said, and take pictures. And a lot of times that will throw them off their game. You know what I mean? If you, if you were getting after it and somebody was coming in and turn on the light, you'd be like, Oh man, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's the same thing for them. So you have to restart everything. And that's why I I tell people just leave alone. Yep. That's a, that's a great tip, man. So, um, Rich, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about is uh, about the Platinum T-Plus gene. And that's where probably uh, a lot of people know you out there is, uh, sure. you know, the work that's been done with the Platinum. So give us a little bit of background on the Platinum uh, T-Positive and uh, kind of 
how you acquired edging, how you developed it, uh, and maybe some of your project highlights. Yeah, no problem, man. Um, I don't remember the year exactly. It, it was 2008, 2009, something like that. It was a while back. Um, I got a pair of hypos from Ben Siegel when he was bringing in a lot of the, you know, the import wildcat stuff, uh, a lot of the importers down there. And they were just not, they were called fancy hypos. I think I paid, I don't know, 80 bucks for them, something like that. And, uh, I brought them in and I had quite a few of the Burke stock already, you know, cause that's what I've been acquiring. And I uh, was 13, maybe 2011 or 12. I bred the male to a Burke just to get hets. And I got these crazy looking lavender babies. Right. And I held them back and I called them fancy T positives at the time. I didn't know what they were. So then I bred the female and the same thing happened. So I, at that point I knew something was going on. So I held everything back. I talked to Burke about it and he's like, I don't, I don't produce anything like that. That's something different, but it's compatible with the Burke. So it's a T positive line. Right. So basically it's like a, it's like a pastel on steroids. I mean, I, I can produce platinums and Burks in the same litter and Stevie Wonder could pick them out. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that's how vibrant and different they are. Yeah, they, they definitely are. They definitely right? stand out. <laughs> no, they definitely stand out. From the litters that you've, you've shown me when you have, you know, a new litter from, from a platinum pairing, you can definitely pick out. It's night and day how different the platinums are from the regular Burke Tea stuff. And, uh, and I've seen them in person, yeah. and I can attest that they're phenomenal looking. They got a lot of cool. They got a lot of like that purple you're talking about in the garnet stuff i think obviously that's where a lot of that purple comes from in the img combos it definitely comes from the platinum lineage and it could be you know like you know once again I, i've had the haters say oh it's just a burke line i'm like okay then it's a burke line but i'm going to tell you right now I, i've seen burke look at them and be like I, I i've never produced something like that so it's different in my opinion when it comes to quality of these animals uh it makes the burks better but it also does crazy things to the combos. So it does. like I have jungle platinums, I have Motley platinums, I have T positive platinums. I have, uh, you know, I produced a, uh, an IMG Motley T positive platinum, uh, I had blood last year. And that thing is Ghirardelli chocolate purple, you know, yeah, it's just it's, crazy. It's rad. Yeah. So, and that's going to produce the, you know the, the the phoenix platinum img motley yeah and um it, it's just a cool trait to work with because it makes i wouldn't say an unattractive snake i would just say an unattractive snake prettier it's all it is right you know what i'm saying it's just it's it like takes a brown snake gene, and right? it makes it like a lavender per it is and i can't tell you it's a codom i can't tell you it's a dominant progressive or recessive all i know is that if you breed a burke to a platinum two visuals half of the litter is burke half of the litter is platinum and they are obviously different and you take the platinum to platinum and everything looks platinum so it's just it's an enhancer gene but it, it's an enhancer gene to a point to where it's like holy crap that sunglow motley looks fake you know what i'm saying right I, i've actually noticed that now that you're starting to do some platinum to platinum combos some of that stuff is just really shining through and it. it's it's clear Clearly different than the regular, you know, Burke tea stuff that we've seen in the past. And uh, it takes it oh, to another yeah. level, especially with your Garnet project and the Rosewood stuff that's coming down yeah. the pipe. And, you know, some of those comps 
combos you have, it really adds. Like in that video, you could see in the rosewood the color and the tail, bro. It was it's insane. It looks like a rainbow. <laughs> oh, and I get you know, and I get busted all the time. Oh, you're photoshopping. Your, well, you I've told you before. I've even sent you messages. People saying you're photoshopping your pictures. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know how to photoshop for one, and for two, I ain't got the time to do that shit. So my animals are my animals, and you've seen them in person. But yeah, the garnet's tails, they're like this neon red orange. And oh, they're when, crazy. When you take a picture of them, they just explode with color. And and that's just shit I've showed you guys. That's not stuff I've, I've you know, haven't taken pictures of yet. So and and, and then the and not to mention you take all your pictures. Yeah, not to mention you take all your yeah. pictures with your phone. So how you it's you're, you're posting it from your phone online. Yeah, I am. And you're taking and that's pictures I outside is, on I, top I of that. Yeah, so exactly. Like every picture, setting. 99% of my pictures are taken outside, not in the sun. They're taken in the shade, but with ambient light. And that's the key is don't put them in a the sun because it bounces off the light. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, how do I get such good pictures? It's because I take my time. I'll take 50 pictures of the same snake and I'll keep one. Right. <laughs> it's just how it is. I've actually learned a lot from Rich on taking pictures of my animals because he used to talk shit to me all the time. Hey, bro, what's up with these shitty pictures you're posting yep. all the time? <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, man, not everybody can take pro pictures like you, bro. And he's like, well, dude, listen to me. And we, dude, we were on the phone one day for probably a good hour. And I was taking pictures in different lighting in different areas of my property. And he's like, he, he's like, hey, bro, that one came out good. Where are you at? And I'm like, I'm in my backyard. I'm, you know, it's, it's afternoon, afternoon sun, but I've got shade. He's like, bro, that's your spot. And, and now I got my little spot. I found it. I found a little spot on my property that works in the afternoon for good pics. And my pictures have definitely enhanced since then. <laughs> yeah, man. Meanwhile, Adam, over here in Arizona, um, I'm screwed with that. We either freeze them or yeah, barbecue yeah. them. Adam Chesla is another one. Right. He, um, he was horrible, bro. Adam was horrible with pictures. He has beautiful snakes. And I finally got with him one day. I said, dude, let me let me fix your problem. And I showed him how to do it. And, you know, he, his pictures have gotten a lot better, but he's just lazy. And it's all the time you put into it as well. You know what I mean? Shout out to Adam Chesley Reptiles. Up, <laughs> yes. Shout out. That's another, that's another cat I don't give a lot of credit to. But I've known him almost 20 years, man. So. Adam's a great dude. I like Adam a lot. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's Rich, got he's got one of them sleeper collections for sure. So, Rich, what are some oh, yeah. of your uh, project highlights right now with the T plus stuff that you're working on with this uh, platinum line? Um, I, I think honestly, Carlos, the the fire, uh, with the garnet going to the fire, I think that's going to really bring something new to the game. Uh, really excited about that. I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. Uh, you know, the the black pearl. Uh, garnet stuff is going to be killer. I've got some central jungle stuff going into the platinums. That's going to be really neat. Oh, and I'm putting raptor into them as well. Ooh, damn! I think that's, that's going to be, be killer. And in the yeah, raptor, yeah, I got some like, super like raptors. Killer raptor lineage too. Like that stuff's on fire too. Well, yeah, it's all the original. You brought it in. Um, yeah, it was some of the uh, original cooch pastel from Abel at Daru. Right. Yep, they all the originals. Yeah, that stuff was nice. It was a, we, Rich and I imported the first pair of um, Cooch Pastel Raptors from Abel Deru. When was that? In like 2014? 
15, 14 or 15. A, they were from a super, a super pairing. So they were, they were from the, the first super pairing. They yeah. They're from the first super pairing. Yep. Yeah. That, that, that pair was awesome. It was a really cool pair of animals and there's been some cool stuff made from there since then. And, uh, oh, yeah. I've got a couple of them hiding out over here in the, in the stables. <laughs> yep. So, Rich, uh, keeping in mind everything that uh, this platinum tea gene kind of does, do you think it's poised to be one of the, like the the big up and coming genes uh, in the hobby uh, in future years? I think so, and and I think the reason being is because it's affordable. Um, you know, you come out with something new, and it's not affordable; it becomes very unattractive. So I think the Platinum Gene, yes, it's worth more than a Burke. It's more than a Burke, and I'm going to get more than that. But it's also very affordable when it comes to a project. And when you, you know, there's a couple guys in Florida that bought Platinum from me a few years ago and produced litters out of them this year, and they were floored. I'm talking animals that I, I didn't even know that they would come out of these litters, and they were floored, and it's just, it's a simple gene, you know, and it's affordable. So... I agree. I th- I think it's got a but lot I think of longevity. That's the key is, is the affordability of it. Right. Yeah. Cool man. For sure. Well, guys, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when yeah. we come back, we're gonna hit the dirty dozen. All right. All right, guys, welcome back. It's time for the Dirty Dozen. So, Rich, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You can give me as short or as long of an answer uh, to them. So here we go. Uh, right. Number one, what's the size of your current collection? Ooh, I don't have an exact number, but it's close to 500, and that's going to be quite a bit more in the next couple months. Right. Baby seasons are coming. Um, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Number two, uh, husbandry-related question. So uh, are you a frozen and thawed guy and what kind of, or a live guy, and what kind of bedding do you like to use? Okay, well, we'll start with the feeders. Uh, all the babies eat live until they're about three months old. Um, I like them to get the, you know, the feeling of, of uh, killing the animal, the feeding response. Right. And then after that, <clears throat> we feed frozen thawed from everything after three months to to adult Perfect. and betting wise i use nothing but paper yeah me too all right everybody with their fancy cocoa chips i'm, I'm a paper guy dude. and like dented craft paper <laughs> it is the easiest cleanest uh you know betting i've ever used and it's the it's the easiest you know to maintain awesome man all right number three what is your favorite morph or locality I'm going to go with the IMG. Um, I've done more with the IMG financially and physically in the last 10 years than I've done with anything since I've been in this business. All right. Number four, what is the most overrated morph or locality? Y'all ready for this? Yeah. Send it. VPI. <laughs> Man. I love you, Roscoe, but I, you know it. <laughs> All right, man. Number five, what is the most underrated morpher locality? 
I would go with Essential Americans. They they are gaining speed. Yeah, they are. Uh, but I still think they're underrated. And, you know, they do have that little man syndrome. They're a little more aggressive than BCIs because they're smaller. But you just got to <laughs> learn to adapt and to deal with it. Adapt and overcome, right? Right. That's right. <laughs> you sound like Napoleon over there. <laughs> <laughs> little man syndrome, adapt and overcome. <laughs> man number six what's your favorite part of the hobby oh the people man the the colorful side of this industry from good bad ugly straight up tiger um, kinging it. If, if, it the, <laughs> if it wasn't if it wasn't for the people i wouldn't be doing it to be honest with you i mean they keep me going financially and they keep me going mentally i mean some of the stuff i hear it shows to this day i mean it, it, i love it you know what i mean yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> yeah, right. definitely. A lot of colorful people in the hobby, for sure. Number oh, seven. man. What is the worst part of the hobby? The people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I, I would just say uneducated people. Let me let me be a little more informative. Uneducated people uh, that don't think before they speak. And, and that really causes a lot of problems and the industry is when you have guys like me, you, uh, you know, Roscoe, the older guys that know what they're talking about, that have been there, done that. And you get these younger people that come in and like, oh, well, this guy said this and he told me to do this. I'm like, well, that's not the way to do it. But that's what makes you sleep at night. You go there. So I would just say uneducated information. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's I agree. I agree to that, too. That's kind of kind of the same answer that I gave was. People that are people that are yeah, I, you summed it up well. I, I think that's I, I would have to agree with you, man. I mean, yeah. Yep. All right, man. Number eight. Do you keep any other species, and if so, why? I do not. Um, now, Roscoe's going to get on my ass about this a little bit because he keeps telling me to do that, but I keep failing. In, in that side of it because I'm so hooked on boas and I'm so passionate about boas I don't have the time to learn about other species and to dive into it and you know why I don't do it because I have Roscoe <laughs> hey you want you, you do you have a you have a pair of Madagascan ground bows over there bro Oh, okay. All right. Other than that, the Madagascar ground bows. But, hey, but there's still boas. They're still boas. Hey, they're still boas. They're still boas. And they're fast as shit. Are they really? <laughs> they are. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, my those, God. They're fast. They're a species that keep you on your toes because they're like, uh, they're like, they're like Doom Rules boas on crack. So they get big yep. and, and girthy, but they, but they're fast like a gaboon viper, dude. And they're, and they strike kind of weird and sideways and, you know, a uh, big mean one will definitely keep you on your toes. Right, man. They eat like a ring python, bro. They wrap their whole freaking body up on the rat. Top to bottom. They're killing that thing. They're, they're yep. making sure it's dead. <laughs> yep. All right, man. Number nine. What is a common misconception about you? About me? Yeah, about you. I would say um, that I'm an asshole. Um, I mean, how many people have I met? They're like, oh, man, you're not as bad as I, I thought you were. 
you're not you're you're not that guy that I thought you were. Well, where did you get that, that misconception that, that I was an asshole? You know what I mean? Right. Well, dude, what I've heard I've heard it from people, and I and I usually tell them you're not an asshole. <laughs> well, if it's any comfort, I've heard the opposite. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So. So everybody that I know well, has met you, raving I appreciate that. And it's it's getting it's it's gotten a lot better, but you know I still get it. You know I thought you were an asshole. Well, I'm sorry I'm not. You know. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I, I think you said the key thing, Carlos, is everybody that's met him has said he's not an asshole. Yeah. I think the people that might say he's an asshole don't know him, and and that's maybe the why they have that that uh, perception of somebody. And they they don't know him, and maybe they just hear what other people say, or maybe they took something that he said wrong. But when you get to know Rich, he's an awesome generous dude that is for everybody that he deals with he definitely goes the extra mile to help people whenever he can absolutely man absolutely all right man number 10 what makes you say what was i thinking when you think back on your time in the hobby oh um honestly i don't think i have any regrets man i i think the path that was paved for me was on purpose. I think I was meant to do what I was meant to do because of that reason. And I don't have any regrets. Step back and said, oh, I'm, I'm in the wrong spot. I don't think I should have done this. Now, let me rephrase that. There has been times when I slug out. I have a bad litter. I have a bad year. You do sit, step back and say, listen, you know, is this right for me? But like I told you before, you just have to overcome that. This is what you want to do you need to do it, you know, with the good or the bad, take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well said. All right, brother. Number 11. What is one tip you would <laughs> give uh, people looking to invest in boas? Take your time. I, I say invest in the person. Invest in the breeder that you're going to be dealing with because they're going to become your best friend. Um, you want to buy from people that are going to be there for you, that are going to answer the phone, that are going to be there when you have a problem. That's the whole point of an investment, in my opinion, is not buying a snake from somebody and then never talking to them again. So pick your breeder wisely. Do a lot of research on that person and do the right research. Perfect. I'd like to elaborate on that too a little bit for you and and because because that's actually something that I missed well the first thing that I said when you asked me that question was was follow your passion which I still stick behind but but definitely when you when you breeder when you pick animals from somebody you're buying their hard work you're buying the effort that they put forth not and, and you know and that should come with good customer support and good follow-up down the road, but you're definitely investing in the same path that maybe somebody else has already put a lot of work into. And, and just like Rich said, do your research on the people you're buying from, because you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great people to buy from, but there's also some people you want to be careful with. So I, I definitely I wholeheartedly agree. And that's something that I missed. And, uh, and when I, when I did my podcast and I wish I would have elaborated on, and I'm glad I've got a second chance to. <laughs> All right, Rich. Last one, number twelve. Any shout outs you want to throw out there? No, Roscoe, number one. Um, <laughs> yeah, Good looking out, him, homie. I, would, I wouldn't be uh, over in Europe, man. I, I mean, he's the main reason I got over there, and I've, I've acquired some friends over there because of the import and exports. Uh, Tom Burke, um, you know, he's my main guy. I would say my family. 
dealing with this journey. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a solid shout out, bro. <laughs> she she she's the soldier in this business, man. And I'm gonna tell you right now, it's the long nights. I mean, me and Roscoe stay on the phone till one o'clock in the morning. And she rolls her eyes, and you know, it's just like, but it's business, and she understands it. Yep. That's awesome. So, so family support's definitely imperative in having success in any business, I think. Oh, 100%. Well, boys, I think that wraps it up for today. So, uh, Rich, tell the people out there where they can uh, see your animals and learn more about you. Oh, man. Uh, da Vinci Boa, Facebook, Richard Del Bono, Facebook, Instagram, Da Vinci Boa. Uh, I'm really easy to get a hold of. I'm working on the YouTube channels right now. I, I finally got a fire lit under my ass. Um, working on those. So if you guys need anything, we always have bows for sale. And believe it or not, if you can't get a hold of me, get a hold of Mike. He's, you know, we're kind of partners <laughs> in this game, and, and he refers you, things to me, and I refer things to him. So yeah, 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 no doubt. Mike, yeah, for sure. Tell everybody where they can uh, get a hold of, of you. Where they can see your so you can find me at the reptileshop.com, uh, Facebook Roscoe's Reptiles, or the reptileshop.temecula. And, uh, and if you can't get all of me, hit up Rich because <laughs> we'll, we're always chatting go. anyway. <laughs> but uh, and I appreciate you yeah, having me co host, man. I was I'm, I'm glad I got an opportunity to co host with Rich and, and you. And I, I think this was awesome, man. I appreciate you guys both having me on. Awesome, man. Well, boys, I appreciate both of you and everybody out there. Thanks for listening. We are out. Guys, that was an awesome episode. Thanks to Richard Dobono of Da Vinci Boas for joining us today. Join us next time as we speak with Dr. Warren Booth of Boa Booth. We're going to talk about his work with Costa Rican boa morphs, along with the importance of having genetic diversity in your collection. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time, grow them slow.